0: ready absolutely here we, go. here we go you're listening to learning transforms from the faculty of education at the university of victoria i'm ted rekan
1: and i'm courtney baldwin
0: and we're coming to you from the unceded territories of the lekwungen speaking people
1: and the Wasanish people welcome,
0: welcome to, to the, the show. show
1: so courtney what are we talking about today well, we're really lucky because we have Alan Chafe with us. Alan Chafe is a uh, PhD student in the Faculty of Education. He's doing his uh, in leadership studies, and he is also a sessional uh, professor in the Department of Economics. And so we're really happy to have you here. Hi, Alan. Hello.
0: Oh. Hi, Hello. Alan. Welcome. Yeah, it's very exciting.
1: So, um, I thought we would start off just to kind of talk a little bit about what your research is on, because um, it's really exciting and it's not necessarily what one would consider that's in the Faculty of Education. So, why don't you tell us a little bit about that?
2: For sure, yeah. So, what I've been doing for the past year um, is uh, traveling around the country to queer theatre festivals in Canada. Um, so, I started in Toronto at the Rhubarb Festival, uh, then went to Lethbridge, um, Elgin. Alberta, um, then went to, um, Montreal for the Rose Festival and then came back to Victoria for the Outstages Festival here. And so what I'm looking at is exploring these temporal festivals, um, they're queer theater festivals. Um, I say theater, but there's, it's much more than theater. Um, there's cabarets, there's parties, there's workshops, um, and there's other kind of seminars and, um communal events that happen uh, at these festivals and so what I'm looking at is what impact these festivals have on the overall social movement uh, and the level of learning and knowledge production and community building that's happening uh, as a result of these festivals
1: yeah by social movement what do you mean
2: Uh, so looking at the overall queer social movement. So what I'm specifically doing is placing these festivals within a broader movement. So rather than looking at the events, uh, these events on their own, I'm placing them within the broader perspective of the queer social movement in terms of how they're contributing to um, bringing about more just and equal society for um, queer people, LGBT community. Mm-hmm. Is it premature to ask you, what you're finding? Yeah, no, not at all. I mean, I've conducted 70 interviews, um, and so I'm just finished transcribing those interviews. Uh, so uh, I have nearly 60 hours of uh, transcripts uh, or hours of recording that I transcribed, um, and so yeah, so definitely learning is happening. Of course, you know, going into the project, one of the the things I was worried about is the whole you know preaching to the choir uh, in terms of you know. A lot of people already attending these festivals are already queer themselves or are allies that, you know, are already familiar with, you know, the issues and, um, you know, the movement itself. Um, But there is definitely a lot of learning that is happening. Um, One of the things that caught me by surprise was the amount of learning um, and community building that is actually happening before between the performers themselves. So these performers uh, are coming from across the country to attend these festivals. um, And many of them don't know each other uh, until they come to these festivals. And there's a lot of cross pollination that's happening. So, you know, whether they're performing in in the cabaret uh, or and working with local artists and meeting local artists or meeting other um, national artists um, it's leading to future collaborations and friendships that, um, you know, I think is going to help cross-pollinate the queer theater community across um, yeah, and I've also heard some interesting stories um, about really how these festivals are giving fuel I'm going to use a participants' words here, um, they referred to how it fuels them uh, throughout the year and energizes them um, because it's a positive space where they can go to uh, and feel comfortable in their trans body uh, and then carry that forward throughout the year until the next you know, queer event happens. And it, that's particularly important in cities like Lethbridge and Victoria, where we have a lack of queer spaces where queer community can come together which is a bit different than Toronto to where you know there's a huge queer village um, and there's a lot of more opportunities and spaces for queer people to connect. But in places like Victoria, um, we depend on these types of festivals, whether it's Pride Festival uh, or the LGBT um, Film Festival or now these new spaces, these queer theater um, festival spaces where queer community can come together.
1: Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. And so for... There's a couple of places my brain is going with this. So the first question is, in terms of the learning, because you're looking at non-formal learning. um, So in terms of the learning, you're finding that that's happening with the participants who are involved, right? Mm -hmm. The artists and and whatnot. What are you finding in relation to... The actual people who attend? Is it mostly people who are in the queer community or allies who know about this? Do people, is it open for other people? I think a lot of times, just like we have with different communities, is some people are hesitant to go because they don't know if they're welcome.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it, it, obviously, this is varying by city. Mm-hmm. Um, but definitely, uh, you know, I've, I've about, probably about, of the people that I interviewed were allies, actually, so they didn't identify as LGBTQ. Um, And one one of the most, you know, the thing that, one of the conversations that comes to mind is um, from a person who identified with um, this performance um, by a trans-identified person um, who speaks about living as a trans person uh, and their issues, um, and... You know, after seeing that performance, this participant, you know, the, their eyes were kind of, you know, wide open, and they now had a better understanding of what it meant to be trans and the issues that trans people face. And so, that individual, you know, in, in their words, kind of expressed um, how they now are they now see themselves as better allies as a result of seeing that performance. Um, so there's definitely learning that is happening with the allies uh, as well, um, and the uh, even. Non allies, so those queers who are in the audience, there's a lot of personal reflection and growth that it's happening. I think by sitting in the seats and hearing these stories, because we're personally connecting um, to the similarities um, in these stories, um, and it's bringing about healing um, in a very comfortable space where you know you're surrounded by you know your people. I guess mm-hmm. for lack of a better phrase.
1: And I think it's a myth too in the queer community that we kind of that everybody knows, like one another knows their stories or know what goes on. But that's actually not the case, right? Mm. You can be involved in the queer community and have never interacted with or known a trans person or never really, you know, you can stay in your little um, groups, maybe, so to speak, for lack of a better term, right? So being able to have that type of space where you can be open, honest and share those stories, I think is fundamental to our growth together within the queer community, but also as allies and also as a larger community. I think there's this myth in Canada in some ways that we've moved past homophobia and we've moved mm-hmm. past all of that stuff. And I, and that's not necessarily the case, but I think that can also stem out of
2: not being aware or not knowing. For sure. And I mean, we identify, you know, the queer movement is essentially, you know, an identity based movement, but you know, it's, it's it's hugely intersectional, and so that's also something that came out of uh, me visiting all these different festivals was how intersectional um, the movement is, but also these festivals are extremely intersectional. You know. We're, these are queer performers um, talking about their queer issues, but their issues are not just about coming out or um, being queer. Uh, You know, a lot of the themes that came up was around consent, um, around patriarchy, uh, misogyny, um, racism. And so there's a huge slew of social issues that are being discussed um, within these settings. Can you unpack for us what you mean when you say intersectional? Hmm. So intersectional is just the idea that, um, you know, it's, it's breaks down, um, oppression on the basis of race, sexism, you know, income, uh, mobility, um, sexuality. Um, and so we as individuals, um, can fall into, um, all of these different groups. Yeah. So you may have, for instance, you know, um, a, a trans woman. So not only are they dealing with the fact that they're trans, but they're also dealing with the the oppression that they face because they're a woman. Do you uh, look at the, the content as well? So when you go from festival to
0: festival, are there 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 productions that really stand out, head and shoulders above the others, and are making a huge impact in terms of bringing the performers together, or igniting
2: the audience, or mm-hmm. or are you simply looking at the participants' perceptions? Yep. Good question. Um, yeah, part of the research was participant observation. Um, so definitely that has played a role in terms of, you know, the atmosphere, uh, and the impact that I've witnessed that performers have had on the audience. Um, but I've tried to stay away. I will not try to, I am staying away from critiquing an actual performance itself for its artistic ability is not, my focus is not my area of expertise. And so I'll leave that to the theater majors to to critique.
0: Okay. I, I just ask because there are, I mean, there are certain uh, shows or certain uh, themes, books, ideas that that really have an impact on people's uh, way of seeing things, and I, I think f- personally, the uh, Jill Soloway's Transparent series was was one that I learned a lot from. And uh, you know, she was groundbreaking in in a whole bunch of ways there. So, I'm wondering if you've seen anything similar in the theater world that um, that people will be talking about years from now.
2: Hmm. Yeah, I mean, definitely. And the way these festivals are constructed, and I think that's also what's coming out of the research, is that um, the festivals have been set up to really be communal. And so to share, there's a lot of sharing that happens. So generally, when you go to a theater performance, you know, you, you may go for dinner with your friends and you go to the show and then you kind of all disperse and run off to your own homes. And, and that's not how these festivals for the most part are working is so you're kind of following each other from one show to the next. Um, There's social gatherings that are happening in the whether it's in the foyers or outside of the buildings, um, following the shows where there's a lot of discussion happening about the content uh, of the shows. And so um, that seems to have happened or is happening um, for the majority of the performances that I saw. And so I think that's important from an educational perspective, um, because that's really where this discourse is continuing outside of the the performance itself, which is not something that I've noticed happen in other types of one-off performances. Mm
1: -hmm. Fantastic. And so I think there's another aspect of you, which I didn't know when I first met you and we were doing our leadership stuff together and we were in the same department. And as we got to talking and you were talking about doing courses because you also teach economics, yes, um, which is surprised me to be honest, because I think it is, uh, and maybe this is just my ignorance, but I think it's a very different fields. Um, and so I found out that you have an undergrad and an MA in economics and then you decided to do your PhD in leadership studies. So yeah, <laughs> I'd like to know a little bit more about that because it's such it's so diverse and I was just I just yeah, I just I, it shocked me when I heard it about you. It makes sense because you're very good with with those things, but I yeah, do you want to talk a little bit about where that shift was for you or why that shift happened?
2: Sure. Yeah, I mean I actually came out in 2005 while I was completing my master's degree uh, at UBC in economics. Uh, And then following that, I moved to Ottawa where I began my career as an economist working first for the Conference Board of Canada and then uh, Statistics Canada. Um, And as I came to, you know, accept my queer self, um, I became very involved in the queer movement uh, in Ottawa. And um, I started off volunteering for the Capital Pride Organization, uh, th- which is the organization in Ottawa that organizes the annual festival, Pride Festival. Uh, and then the year after that, I became the treasurer. Uh, and then um, the year after that, I became the chair of the organization. Um, and it was during that period while I was the chair of the festival that I was approached um, by a um, someone who worked for a city councillor to ask to participate in this leadership program through uh, a program called Leadership Ottawa, um, which is an offshoot uh, of a program run by the University of Ottawa. Fantastic.
0: So Alan, based on your, what you're finding uh, so far, um, do you have any insights into how these festivals are contributing to the queer social movement and, and, and maybe even uh, if you can unpack for us again to say the Movement, mm. you know what? What does that encompass? Like, how, how do you how do you frame that?
2: Yeah, good good question. Um, so yeah, I think it's there's a, a historical perspective here. Maybe that I should first talk about is you know the movement is the queer social movement essentially or initially sorry um, began you know with more. F- direct forms of activism. So where we saw, you know, um, heightened protest, um, demonstrations, um, political writing campaigns, um, and that all kind of stemmed out of, you know, the Stonewall riots that happened in 1969. Uh, and because, you know, Canada was very much impacted, of course, by the events happening uh, in the United States at the time. Uh, and then there was a series of other Canadian specific events that happened, the Bathhouse raids in Toronto in the eighties, that kind of influenced, um, this grassroots activism that happened within the queer community. And so initially kind of jumping ahead. So the movement essentially initially began with more forms of direct forms of activism. Um, but over time, as we've seen rights progress, um, within the country, um, and social acceptance has improved, we've moved towards more cultural producing, a cultural producing focus. Um, And so that's why we've seen a rise in these types of festivals. And so um, a lot of these pride organizations that exist in Canada, you know, they were all very much a part of, you know, the direct activism that was happening in the past. And they now move to this cultural producing focus. Um, And as a result of, you know, this, progress uh towards greater social acceptance we've seen other types of organizations prop um prop up so you know we have queer sporting leagues we have queer camps for kids um and all these other queer social and cultural events that are happening um and so it's no surprise then that we've also have queer theater festivals um that have also um uh, been created of course um Overall, they're relatively new, uh, with the exception of Buddies in Bad Times, uh, which is the Rhubarb Festival, um, and that's been going on now for 30 years. Um, but the other festivals, queer theatre festivals in Canada, are, are quite, are, are more recent. Um, so Outstages just had its fourth year, for instance. Part of this too,
1: right, is if we're talking about the, the movement and where it was. Like in the 90s, my mom came out in 91, um, and we were... We were like the, because there were three kids and loving parents or whatever. So we were the poster kids in Alberta, like the poster family. So I just actually uncovered the newspaper clippings that I have from 90, uh, 95 and 96. And they were full page clippings of us, right, as a family to try to normalize this idea. Because there was this myth that, you know, anybody who's queer are, are pedophiles, you know, and are not family or not oriented that in that direction. And the pushback that we got with that um, was you know, we did have a community that supported us for sure, um, but we also had to be very aware of our safety. Um, and my mother took a big risk because at that point, um, there were judges that were taking kids away from their parents just based on the fact if you were if you were out, you got your kids taken away. It was just that simple. Um, and so, and now as we're moving forward, and I think we have all of these rights, um, there's still in some ways, in, and maybe I would love to hear your thoughts on this, but from my perspective, there still is this somewhat, I want to say heteronormative gaze that's put on it where um, even in the queer movement. Okay. So yeah, being, 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 being gay or being a lesbian or being bisexual um, or being whatever, like that's fine, but don't go too far out of that spectrum or those labels or those identities. And so I think, you know, for me personally, adopting that word queer is, is adopting the idea that, no, I don't necessarily have to be, have aspects of heteronormativity. I don't have to believe in marriage if I don't want to. I can choose what that looks like. And it's okay if, you know, you are a person who wants to dress one way or the next day, dress the next or have that fluidity that comes with most of our lives. We are fluid creatures and that's the same I think for some people, not everybody. some people are very um, you know they' they very they understand are intuitive of who they are and that's great. but there are some people who have that fluidity about them. Um, and that's also starting to be okay but I think that sometimes the main culture doesn't necessarily like if we can't if we can't put a person or a, uh, in a box right or in a label. And I don't know if these queer festivals are challenging that at all, yeah, Yeah. so I don't know, for me I think that there's, y- there's a necessary need to still have queer spaces and still have queer festivals that are choosing to think outside of those boxes and those labels, right, so that we can let go of that normative type of idea of what it means to, in terms of sexuality or in terms of relationships.
0: opening it up to diversity in in, in other words and, mm-hmm. and um, being acceptance being accepted of that diversity.
1: yeah, right And maybe so do you feel like that is something that is moving like is that part of what you saw in terms of like in terms of progressing that social movement within those queer festivals? like what is, It'd be interesting to, to hear from you what you thought some of those, like, where are we pushing, right? Because mm-hmm. before it was like a push to not have father and mother, like in the 90s, and have a father and mother on school forms and have parent guardian one, parent guardian two. Or to be able to adopt as a lesbian couple or a gay couple, to be able to adopt kids mm-hmm. or to be able to do those things. And so now we've got that, right? And so we have those rights. So where is, this, where is the movement next? Like, where, where are we pushing next?
2: Right. And so I think, you know, going back to what I was saying earlier is how the movement has changed from more direct forms of um, activism to indirect forms through these cultural producing festivals is exactly what is happening. So as we've now, most rights have been won. I mean, it, it was only, you know, 2005, I believe it was 2005 since, you know, marriage was actually legal. Gay marriage was legal in Canada. So we still, you know, it's a short time period away or not that far in the past that has happened. And and for instance, BC 16, um, which granted rights to trans people under the human rights code was just, um, happened last year. Um, So we still, you know, there's still a lot of work to be done, um, but overall, I think, you know, a lot of the rights that we've been fighting for have been won, but I think the greatest challenge we now have, um, like you're saying, is, you know, changing those social views um, towards queer people and social acceptance. And so that's probably our biggest challenge, I think, um, that the movement today faces. And I think it's through these cultural producing festivals, whether it's a pride festival, um, whether it's um, LGBT film festivals or queer theater festivals, that really we're going to push those um, social changes.
0: You know, if, if the fact that we're now seeing the production of culture and and, and the arts, in a, it's a kind of, it's flourishing now as compared to what it was 20 or 30 years ago. And it's hard to be creating culture and and having the arts flourish when you're fighting for basic rights. But now that those are behind us and you can focus on things that are much more um, expressive and creative, maybe this is going to accelerate that social change that you're talking about because the activists are out there fighting legal and political battles, doing that hard work. And then now, now that that's been done to a degree... Um, the the artists are coming to the fore and it's Mm -hmm. the artists that really shift society's perceptions. When we look back or forward a hundred years and we want to get a sense of where was that culture at, we don't go and read policy and legal documents. We look at the art that was produced. Right. We, we watch the films that are being made. We read the novels that were being written. We look at the paintings that were made.
2: Rather than putting our energy towards winning these rights, we can put our energy towards, you know, these kind of more artistic and clays looking at artists and performers as leaders, um, it was it's tough to untangle because a lot of them don't view themselves as leaders and they don't like using that language. Um, but when you ask them the impact that their work is having, um it really is fitting the definition of what a leader is.
1: Well, I think too that it's more the ability for people and artists and the creativity to come out now into more of the mainstream um is important. I think that makes it more present. But I remember, I remember, artists and and even drag queens and drag kings in the 80s and 90s like I remember like plays and stuff like that that used to happen back then I think that the culture was still there and the artistry was still there but due to safety concerns it had to be on the down low right so you had to be very careful about where you advertised them but if you, if you could get it if you could find it if you knew where it was um, you know, this type of culture has always for me at least has been present for a very long time in Canada I think it's just now coming to more mainstream so people are aware of it more. Yeah,
2: that's a good point. I mean, these, you know, these artists and performers have always existed. Uh, but, um, we're da- we're definitely seeing growth, um, mm-hmm. for sure. Uh, That's happening. Yes. And I think, you know, in terms of the festivals themselves, I think there is an economics component as well, because I think cities, you know, have realized, you know, um, the power that festivals have on creating, uh, you know, a more welcoming, uh, more happy or sense of community within a city. And so cities and governments at all levels have really um, increased their funding towards uh, such festivals.
1: Which is fantastic. Yeah, for sure.
0: It really speaks to the the arts and the, and the role that they play in, uh, in in our culture and society.
1: Because it's important to know that you're represented in some way, shape, or form, and not just for the queer community, but for all of the communities that aren't necessarily represented. Still, you know, when you look around in a city, so being able to see that, I think, is. Is makes a city more welcoming and more attractive, right? Mm-hmm. Which increases the amount of people coming in, and like economic fun terms that I don't know, <laughs> um, but that's fantastic. So because I am always a person, I'm in community engagement, right? So I always like to think of when we do these projects or when we do this research, like what does that mean, right? How does it um, transfer? Because I think all of us who do this, we're very passionate about whatever we're researching and we want there to be something that comes out of it. So for you, what would you hope to see or like to see come from this research? Hmm.
2: Yeah. And I I think I share the same mindset. I mean, as a social justice researcher and someone who really much believes in community-based research, um, I think I owe it to my participants um, who've been very, you know, forthright and honest um, and open in sharing um, with me is that uh, I need to give back um, to the community. Um, And so my hope is that this research um, will help performers um also these organizations in terms of uh receiving funding and grants um because often they're asked you know what is the impact that the what impact these festivals are having on the community and so um my study will help answer those questions um but I also don't want, you know, this to be a dissertation, typical 250 page dissertation that sits in the library that no one has access to. Um, so what I've also decided, um, is that, um, there will be a verbatim theater piece that will be created out of this dissertation, um, that I will be, performing Uh, i mean i say me performing but it's really through these the voices of my participants um as my dissertation defense and so that'll be recorded and shared with all of my participants um and i've now communicated that to them um and so that is my hope that you know to to circulate this you know beyond the four walls of the university Mm -hmm. excellent that's excellent
1: Well, thank you so much for being here today. We really appreciate it.
2: Well, thank you for having me. Mm -hmm. Great. Thank you. Thanks Thanks. for coming.
1: Learning Transforms is brought to you by the Faculty of Education and the Association of Graduate Education Students.
0: Learning Transforms is produced by Julie Remy. Sound design is by Xavier Arujo. Special thanks to Alan Chafe. I'm Ted Rican.
1: And I'm Courtney Baldwin.
0: Thanks for listening.